This is Linux Unplugged, episode 10 for October 15th, 2013. Linux Unplugged, the weekly Linux podcast observing the Linux landscape from its unplugged observatory high above it all. My name is Chris. My name is Matt. I don't know about all that high above it stuff, but I thought it sounded good. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good to me. Sometimes we kind of get down into it, actually. This is true. You know, this week, uh, one of the things I want to talk to you about, Matt, is how to shake off this Ubuntu hangover that I have right now. Oh, my goodness. uh, So to really fully appreciate this week's episode of Linux Unplugged, there is a little homework involved. You don't have to. I think it'll stand on its own. But if you have the time, you should go back. And on Sunday, we did Linux Action Show's Ubuntu 13.10 review. And uh, we're gonna, that's sort of the jumping off point for some of the stuff we're going to cover in this episode. Then on Monday, uh, we did an episode of Coder Radio called Betting on Linux, which I managed to turn into a therapy session. And uh, <laughs> really, really dug into sort of the issues I have around the Ubuntu Dash and, and why it sort of eviscerally bothers me. And uh, some of the issues I think it might cast about the Ubuntu project and whole. But again, not critical that you listen to that, but I think it might give you some context. Because this week we're going to follow up on some uh, comments that you guys have made on our review, some comments on learning Linux. And then we're going to kind of roll that into the big picture of Linux, like uh, maybe a, a world where Ubuntu isn't king. And a world where maybe not all distros live forever, and they change, and sometimes people have to go somewhere else. And how Linux users, especially the savvy ones, can kind of control that and sort of, instead of be victim to it, sort of control what their destiny is. I like that idea. I definitely think it's important to remember that, uh, you know, different different strokes, different folks, right? Yeah, and uh, what goes up must come down, Matt. That's right. Perhaps, perhaps. But why don't we start with a little follow-up for this here show? Uh, an ongoing topic. We've gotten a lot of emails about it, and I've kind of had to be a little picky on what we put in here just because we've gotten so many, which is awesome. But we talked a lot about recently with kids and learning Linux and learning computers in general. And we got a lot of emails from uh, oh, yeah. teenagers, you know, young teens and uh, even even younger than teenage years saying, hey, don't don't think it's all of us. I'm, I'm That's learning awesome. computers. And yeah. good for you guys, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Uh, Mike wrote in and uh, he uh, he says, learning the nuts and bolts, Matt and Chris, not everybody either wants or can understand how things work. To some, their Agreed. computer is an appliance and nothing else. So here's his background. He says, I happen to be a, one of the weird guys who does need to know. As a kid in the late 50s, I, build my own, I built my own radios, learned how to read schematics and solder. I was, an, I was also the bicycle repair guy for the neighborhood. At 16, my first paid job was an electric golf cart repair guy. After two years in the Army as a draftee from 66 to 68, I got a job as a programmer trainee in spite of not having a degree. I just scored very high in the IBM aptitude test. First language I learned was the IBM 360 assembler. Uh, He's also picked up five distinct assembly languages. Today at 66, I still program and do web stuff and administer systems including OpenSUSE, Debian, and Ubuntu, and I'm still uh, being paid to play with the toys. I also have an advanced class in ham radio license as well as a commercial pilot license with instruments. I can teach almost anybody to program, but if it's not fun and enjoyable, they'll suck at it. Mike. So this is a great point uh, that uh, Mike is. makes here. Is, and you know what else I loved about Mike's email is uh, – so we have, we've gotten emails from uh, 10-year-olds, 13-year-olds, 16-year-olds saying, hey, don't, don't count us out. And now you got Mike here at the other end of the spectrum saying, uh, you know, at 66, we still like to do this stuff too. And, you know, my grandpa, who's 
um, quite a few years beyond Mike. Uh, also, you know, he loves playing with Linux. He loves playing with uh, netbooks. And now he's getting into the open tablets. I gave him. Um, That's cool. I guess I forget. I had a tablet that was going to be the Spark tablet for a while. Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. I gave it. To, I gave it to my grandpa so that way he could load whatever he wants on it because he's just he loves doing that kind of stuff. And I think he's he just hit eighty. Actually, that's awesome. Yeah. But you know, it keeps you it keeps you feeling young. It keeps you involved and and active and doing cool stuff. You know. Yeah, totally. It's it is good to see that. And so. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe the general populace, you know, uh, and and even and and in a decreasing number of people will be specialists. There's still some out there. Um, mm-hmm. Now, uh, Brian wrote in with response to uh, last week's Linux Unplugged, where we call it, we titled it the Ubuntu situation. Uh, he says, I think everyone is overreacting. I've been running Ubuntu 13.10 for a few weeks now, and mm-hmm. it keeps on getting better and better. Other than the smart scopes, which I just choose not to use for the online results. This is, one of the, yeah, this is one of the best releases so far. Ubuntu needs to be stable and boring for a release, maybe even for a few cycles. Unity changed everything, and they're now getting to the point of polish, and they shouldn't screw that up. Mm-hmm. Everyone outside the hardcore Linux community wants a stable OS. We are geeks. We like the bleeding edge. Do we complain when OS X doesn't ship the latest X? No, we do not. We don't even know about it. That is the mindset that we need to keep in mind. They want this to go big time. The focus on mobile is important. I can live with a stale OS for a few cycles. Oh, and a good oh. perspective to get on the show since we it's a Nick, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, then Zach wrote in with, a, uh, with another follow-up to the Ubuntu situation. Uh, Zach wrote, hey, Chris and Matt, I have a few comments regarding the most recent Linux Unplugged. Great show, by the way. He says <laughs> he likes the format. Good compliment cool. to the big show. Uh, first, regarding Noah's email about young Padawan learning about Linux. I would recommend, probably not right now, but sometime in the future when he gets a little more Linux under his belt, taking a look at Linux from scratch. Yes, it's hardcore and pretty damn hard, especially for a newbie, but between Linux from scratch and Gentoo, I learned so goram much about Linux and how it works when I first started out. See, now he's mixing Star Wars and Firefly references. I was going to say, there's some Firefly up there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I obviously wouldn't use it as a daily driver, but for learning an experiment, it's a great tool. If you could pass that along as a suggestion to him or mention the show, that would be awesome. Second, Christopher. Regarding your recent um, cock-up with your KDE configs, <laughs> why aren't you using Git to keep revisions of your dot .files? It's such a great tool, and it's a great way to keep track of any text-based configs, which they all should be. Make a Git folder at the base of home, and then make a git.ignore that filters out everything that you don't explicitly allow. That's a good tip. That's an uh, excellent idea, actually. Yeah, and then take a look at uh, git.ignore as an example, and uh, he, he includes it. And he says, uh, you can also use a syncing tool to keep the same config files between your machines. Just some thoughts. Thanks for making the awesome shows, and keep up the good work. May the force be with you. You know, I did kind of admit that I probably should have been doing a better job of backing up my KDE config. I, I admit to that, but, you know, um, I'm happy with my GNOME now. Exactly, and it's almost a mood issue. And, and mm-hmm, I would also mm-hmm. go so far as to say it's not a matter of not... I mean, obviously, you know how, but it's also a matter of you have X number of hours in the day. You have X number of tasks to be done in that day, and where are you spending that time? And honestly, you know, I, I don't know if setting that up really would have crossed your mind with as much as you got going on. Yeah, I suppose it didn't because I did know yeah. it's technically possible. Um, sure. It's, it also seems like one of those things, though, you could probably – if you just had like some time on a weekend to set it up once, you'd yeah. probably be good for a while. But It's a cool tip, though. I mean I got to give props for it. It's like it's really – Really, a creative idea. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, it's an interesting yeah. use of Git too. We've heard a few creative uses of Git, uh, and that's mm-hmm. just another one. Uh, okay, so now we're going to kind of shift gears and get into uh, some of the um, some of the stuff that I think is probably our jumping off point for our talk about the big picture around Linux this week. Danny wrote in, and uh, Danny said, uh, "Please continue to beat the canonical drumbeat. 
uh, you in this case are not wrong. The issue here is greater than a simple feature that can be easily turned off. The issue is a canonical trend. I think Shuttleworth's vision is extraordinary. I think he's right on with convergence, but canonical at present is incapable of delivering on its promise. Herbus, right? Hubris? Hubris. Hubris then showed itself when instead of going and selling his vision to a hardware partner capable of fulfilling it, instead he goes to the carriers and to interweb financing to complete his vision. This is when we meet the underwhelming and self-congratulatory execution. The sad ballot has played itself out over and over again. The Dash, Ubuntu TV, Unity Desktop, Upstart, and Mir. The same sad song. I ask you, where is the shame in perfecting the desktop experience? Where is the pride in being the creator of the most popular Linux base? Where is the love for the open source community which built Ubuntu, which built on top, which Ubuntu is built on top of, uh, and made it what it is today? So, Chris, as long as the sad song plays, please continue to beat the drum. Get it out of and here. This is well. This is an interesting. You know, what do you think about it? How, are we now seeing a history hmm. of sort of overpromise, underdelivering? I think it's important to report on it. I think it's important to maintain the discussion about it. Where I draw the line, though, because I think this needs to be talked about and shared and whatnot, but I think where people need to draw the line is that if, it, if it's affecting you on your personal desktop to the point where you draw the line in the sand and say no more, move on to something that's not creating problems for you and then continue the discussion in a rational uh, adult way like what we're doing on the show. I think that's an important uh, way to handle it. I think it's a healthy way to handle it. I think that we should all make those businesses fail. I agree. <laughs> that's basically the summary of it, yeah. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Now, uh, I think Danny could have a point here. We are starting to see a bit of a trend. Uh, you know, Unity was sold to us as the ultimate touch interface for all. And then we realized, okay, we got to rewrite it a whole bunch of time. Uh, Ubuntu TV was sold to us like three CESs ago, and here we are. It's still not there. I don't know if I necessarily agree with Upstart and Mirror. I think uh, I think the jury is still out on Upstart. It it was out before System D. It solved a problem and a need, and it's sure. continued to function well. And you know, some people would say swapping out something like that's a big change. Mirror obviously not looking great at the moment, but it's already playing out okay on mobile, and I think it makes some sense there. So we'll see. On the desktop, I'm not convinced, but I'm willing to give it a little more time. A little more time on Mir. I See, for me, I think that I would need to see it accomplish a specific task or some sort of a purpose. Uh, perhaps it's providing uh, an experience with Steam that maybe I'm not getting with another distro, which at this time it's not. But let's mm. say that does, in fact, happen over time. It solves or it's a problem a, it, for you. Yeah, it solves some sort of problem that I could identify. Then, then, okay, fine. I might stick with Ubuntu. Right now, I'm using it on this other desktop simply because it's installed. It works. It's fine. It's doing what it needs to. I, it, it's okay. I don't care. Um, I just don't get too excited about that because the fact Linux has so many choices. I choose not to get all excited and butthurt over uh, Ubuntu's decisions. You know, and the the team that develops that. If they want to do something stupid, hey, more power to you. Go ahead. Yeah, and I actually think <laughs> you know? what we are witnessing is not necessarily an Ubuntu problem. I think this is yeah. going to happen over and over again. And I think I think if you look back at the history of Linux, this already has happened just in different iterations. So, uh, and this is where we get into the big picture aspect of Linux and why mm-hmm. Linux is stronger than any one distribution, and why that actually really matters, and and why I actually think that Linux users today are not taking advantage of that fact. But before right. we get to that, before we kind of shift gears into our main topic today. I want to thank our sponsor, Ting.com. Yes. Ting is mobile that makes sense, my friends, and my mobile service provider and Matt's mobile service provider. That's right. They got the new Note 3 out now, Matt. I'm just putting that out there, just letting you know. Oh, yeah. Now, one of the things that I think is absolutely fantastic about Ting is how they do their rates. You don't have to pay into a big plan that you only use. Like, So say you say your cell phone bill is like 60 bucks a month. Well, how do you know if you're only getting $30, $30 of value of that? Ting separates out your voice 
your megabytes and your messages into individual buckets and you just pay for what you use at the end of the month. That way, if you're not a heavy voice user one month, you don't end up paying in a whole bunch of money into a voice line that you don't need. On top of that, it's contract free. That's right. No contract, no early termination fees. You only pay for what you use. It's a flat rate of $6 a month. For, you can have as many phones on that line as you want, sharing the pooled minutes, and then you buy your phone. When you buy that phone, it's contract free. You own that phone. That's what I one of the I mean, that's like probably the top five things I love about Ting. Oh yeah. But it gets even better from there. If you go over to Linux.ting.com, you'll save $25 off your first month or $25 off a first device if you are not bringing a device. And they're doing something that's kind of fun. This only goes on till the end of October, October 31st. They're getting a little Willy Wonka up in here. So the Ting mm-hmm. has these uh, new really cool pouches that they're shipping out devices in. And they're they're reusable. You could use that. You could actually just use it to like carry like your recharges stuff, like for the car or whatever. They're they're really nice devices or uh, cases. Mm-hmm. And in these cases, they have golden tickets. Now there's going oh, to no be kidding. yeah. There's going to be three tickets that go in the cases that get sent out, and there's going to be three digital tickets. When you buy a device from Ting between now and October 31st, there could be a golden ticket in there. That golden ticket will get you a year of Ting service for free. So if you're already gonna if you're already considering switching to Ting. Why not do it now? You could potentially end up with a year of service for free if you order between now and October 31st. But those of you who are considering ordering online, maybe bringing your own device, and don't worry, my friends, Ting has stashed three tickets aside for you as well. They'll also be giving out three tickets to anybody who does a digital order. There's going to be digital tickets, and they'll be given to random people who go through the bring your own device process before October 31st. Pretty fun, pretty cool. And it's another neat way that Ting sort of makes it even even more fun to switch. And right now, I think it's better time than ever because there's a good chance you could get a year of Ting for free. When you combine that with the fact that they have early termination relief program, where you can get up to $75 per line off. You just buy your phone, port your number, then submit your claim, and they'll give you up to $75 for the early termination. And the fact that you're going to get $25 off your first device or your first month, if you bring a device, when you go to linux.ting.com, my friends, it has literally never been a better time to switch to Ting. Start saving right now. Go use that save uh, calcul- calculator right there to calculate your savings. I think you'll be, be pretty impressed. And if you ever have any any problems, anything you ever need to sort out, just give them a call. 1-855-846-4389. A real person will answer the phone, and a real person will take, take care of your problem. They claim responsibility, and they own that for you. They really get it solved. I really appreciate that. That's so awesome. And I love the fact that, you know, for the golden ticket program, it doesn't matter how you come into the program, whether or not you're bringing your own device, you can yeah. do digital, or if you actually are purchasing a device through them, then you get a real ticket. That's awesome. Isn't Everybody it? wins. It's very cool. So go yeah. over to linux.ting.com. Tell Ting, thanks for supporting Linux Unplugged, and then go get yourself some great service and a fantastic phone. Linux.ting.com. And thanks to Ting for sponsoring Linux Unplugged. They get a winner bell. For being awesome supporters. All right, Matt. So I, I wanted to continue in the, the vein of uh, digging through some follow-up, which will uh, bring us to our main topic this week. We had a uh, we had a really good post in the subreddit, linuxactionshow.reddit.com this week from Raccoon1215. Mm-hmm. And uh, the post was titled, I use old, crusty, Debian stable, and <laughs> I love it. This is such a great post. I want to just read a couple of highlights to kind of kick us off here. He said, I was inspired by the recent discussion on Linux Unplugged, and I thought I would talk about my desktop and server distro of choice, Debian Stable, technically Crunchbang, um, and uh, why I prefer it to, say, the way of Arch doing things, i.e. Bleeding Edge. Uh, You kids and your fancy new shiny GUIs and your Unity and your Cinnamon with your GNOME and your KDE. My desktop was bland, gray, and that's the way I like it. And for reference, here's my default settings of my desktop. It's a very nice-looking, very clean-looking desktop. Mm-hmm. 
minimal for sure. He says it is bland, it is gray, and here's another example of it with like Conky and doing some awesome stuff. Oh yeah, I mean it looks really nice. It is definitely a, a very good looking desktop. Uh, he goes on to say, on a separate point, I don't want my desktop and window manager to change on me. Chris brought up the example of running a system update and having GNOME update from 3.8 to 3.10. In such a drastic, if such a drastic change happened to me, I would panic. I don't want that to happen. To quote RMS, get it out of here, which is right there. Uh, he goes on to say, yes, packages are old and they don't and won't ever get updated until the next version of Debian, but that's a good thing. I don't want some program I use every day to suddenly change its behavior. It should be predictable. I don't want the init system to suddenly change to systemd, even if it does look awesome, until the next release cycle. In addition to that, sometimes old packages are just better than newer ones. Sometimes newer versions of things lose functionality. In conclusion, if I had to sum it all up, it would be this. Unplanned change is bad, and Debian understands this. Well, I, I think it's, you know, he's finding something that works well for him, and he's, he's someone that probably likes, well, not probably, he definitely likes his experience, you know, predictable. He wants to wake up and know that his, even after an update, everything that's going on, everything's going to look and feel as it did. Everything's going to operate the way he expects it to, and I think that's awesome for I him. I guess so. I mean, I totally you know, see it, that. I, I, to I'm me, not quite to his degree. But, it smacks you know. a little bit of, of being afraid of upstream. Like, um, it uh, just, it, people, I think... I don't know. Okay, so, I'm like him to a lesser degree. Yeah, I can, I, I, and I can know, see that. I can see that. I'm um, not near as extreme. There are some things I just really want a hell of a lot. I, I want to get the I want to get the arch into you know, the arch repos and see some of the latest greatest stuff. I so, do. So like uh, I think I called it. You know, there's an old school way. Uh, this mm. was uh, Earthy. Uh, <laughs> I just recognized. I just read the Nick Earthy porn star. Uh, Earthy porn star <laughs> commented that uh, that I called it the old school way, or people who haven't gone rolling haven't tried it in years. Who I believe were comments I recently made. Um, and he says it's it's not just about updates breaking stuff. It's about general stability, compatibility, and functionality. He goes on, and I thought this was an interesting comment. I, like all Linux desktop users, am clearly downright insane for not using OS X as a daily driver desktop. Yeah, Apple Inc. is evil and all of that. But if we look at this from a factual, architectural, and even practical viewpoint, there is no comparison. All the best parts of Macintosh plus BSD Unix, all highly polished, highly stable workstation quality, because obviously OS X only runs on Macs, therefore Apple can write close to 100% of the drivers. Um, he, he goes on to say the Linux... Um, uh, he says... Oh, actually, I wanted to point this out. He says... A resulting in old school workstation stability that is downright perfection. To be honest, I don't know if I agree with that. I wouldn't say perfection. I would say an expected experience would probably be the yeah, kindest. Yeah. Okay. I could good say. way to put it, right? Yeah, that's yeah. a good way to put it. Um, and and uh, he, you know, his point here is that you know OS X has apps and it has this Unix architecture, but I think I think that is true to to an extent, and I think we have to, even as Linux fans, have to acknowledge that there is a really good, compelling solution on the Mac side, right? But it comes at not only a premium price that not everyone's willing to pay, but it also comes at a limited set of options. Basically, on the Mac side, you can either do it or you can't do it. Right? True. You, you can't, yeah, I you would can't say make that's, Yeah, I'd say that's true because I mean, in the past, on my wife's Mac, for example, try, you know, just the adventures of trying to get HP printers to work or not work, or will this update break it? It is not perfection. I, I've, I quite honestly get greater stability out of any any one of my Linux computers than we see on the see on OS ten. Quite honestly, I, that being said, that's with drivers. Now, I would I can't, also say it's very boring. It's extraordinarily boring. It's you really can't do a whole ton of tweaking with it. Um, you know, it, it it the only reason I ever find myself in front of one is if I need something software specific that I'm not getting on Linux. 
And right. that would be I mean, you know? I'll, I'll always use that over using Windows because yeah. like, I really oh, can't yeah. stand Windows. Now, here's the point, and this is funny because it shows you there's two, there's several different ways to think about this because I take his last point here and mm-hmm. I see it a completely different way. He says, the Linux desktop is easily still a good five years behind Windows oh, and OS X. Without no. LTS, Linux wouldn't even be in the ballpark. So let's take the five-year thing and really look at this logically. Factually speaking, when Windows 7 first came out and I had my mom's ton of peripherals that I wanted to see what would work, 80 to 85% of them would not work because there were not compatible drivers. Fact, okay? Linux, all of them worked. No, I never. I wasn't running Linux on our computer. Another thing, uh, we look at wireless drivers. It, it, drivers specifically would be a big thing there. Also, just overall stability, even in Windows 8, it's it's more stable than it is in the past, think, but it's not that awesome. You I know, think so you're right. Five, I mean, you know, I think you're right just, in terms of drivers yeah. and kernel stability. I think what yeah. he's talking about is because I think in this context he's talking about certain applications, perhaps like you know, like Final Cut and Photoshop and things like that that are that are just way ahead that are only oh, available for yeah. Mac or Windows. And that's factually true, but that should but th- that should be stated as such. Not that the platform right. is five years behind, but the fact that the companies that produce software for those platforms, it's just non-existent. I and mean, it's so just, you know, is, that's but, fair. But here's where I see the disconnect, is because his argument is is that the LTS Linuxes out there, and, you know, LTS is Canonical's yeah. term, but, you know, Red Hat Enterprise, SUSE Enterprise, all of these enterprise-grade distros, they are a picture of time. They're like, you know, when we see, when we look out into space and we see planets come back into us, the reflection of light from millions of years ago. And so it does not represent the true state of the Linux desktop. So in a sense, in a way, you could argue that LTS also holds Linux back because as we are rapidly evolving at a pace that is way beyond what commercial software evolves at, as we are rapidly evolving, that is lost by these LTS snapshots. Now, that is a benefit in the enterprise, and that is a benefit for folks that want Debian stable, right? That is a good thing. Right. But in terms of actually pushing the envelope forward, seeing where the innovation is in the Linux desktop, you lose it a little bit. You lose it in in the forest because you can't see it. And I think, in a sense, LTS is actually doing the opposite of what his argument is. Now, it, it has a role. It obviously has a role, right? But I actually think for desktop users that are savvy enough, people who people who are comfortable with Linux, I think using an LTS is sort of shortchanging yourself. I think it's – I, I don't agree with that. I think that it basically comes down to two happy mediums. I would not want to be in a world where we only had an LTS because I think that would be incredibly limiting. <laughs> Nor would I want to be in a world where we only had rolling releases and bleeding edge stuff either. Yeah, I think you need yeah, both because yeah. honestly, I'm, if I'm going to put one of my family members on a, on a Linux distro, it's going to be something long-term and – Something I have to screw with, you know. Quite frankly, um, I don't want to roll updates for them. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't want them doing anything to it other than letting me manage it when I have time, and that's a long-term release for myself. I'll probably take a bleeding edge option. So. Well, okay. So let me let me jump from there, and then we'll then we'll roll into yeah. mumble folks here in a sec too. Um, so for you and I, who are hardy enough, and and of course millions of other people who are hardy enough to sort of tuck and roll when something happens in our in our rolling distribution. I think we are benefiting Linux more so in the long run. So I think if we, exactly. if we zoom out and we look at what's happening to Ubuntu, there could be an argument, at least on the desktop side. Now, maybe they're about to be a shooting star on mobile or whatever the future of, of these converged devices. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll come out on top as like a shooting star of that category. That maybe is yet to be seen. But if we accept 
that a lot more people these days are less satisfied with the Ubuntu desktop and that it in, in some regards is in a decline. Right. Watching the events around Ubuntu unfold, I believe once again is teaching us that something who anyone who has watched Linux for a long time has probably noticed and like myself refuses to probably fully accept that maybe all of them, at least not most of them in the grand scheme of things, most distros die or change for the worse. And yet many Linux users are still, they remain afraid of the raw Linux experience without the protection of their distro masters. They fear total system havoc without some bearded gatekeeper at the repo preventing mass <laughs> chaos from entering their system via a system update. And they believe that only the distros can protect them from this, the great distro masters. You know, and, and the thing is, Matt, is four months now into the Arch experiment, yep. using Arch as my daily driver in production and play, and yeah, we just had Skype, Skype crash on us. Sure. On an Arch rig. Is that because of Arch? I don't think so. I think it's Skype's no. crap. Skype hasn't yeah. updated in months. Uh, but using it as my daily driver, it's taught me a really big lesson. And it's not about how elite Arch is. And it's not about how w- wikis can actually not suck. Those are lessons I did learn, but that's not what I'm talking about. What I did learn is that upstream is amazing. The near real-time work that is being done is inspiring and encouraging me as the host of the Linux Action Show to push on. It is fun to watch and a joy to use. And all of that is lost when you live inside this distro box. And I think there could be a case to be made that if you, like me, enjoy toying with your computer more than actually playing video games, then perhaps using a rolling Linux distro, it's better for Linux and it's better for all that upstream code. It's in everyone's best interest if we all live outside the box and we live a little closer to upstream. If we can bear it, if if we can be exposed to the bumps that come along with that. I would agree with that. Yeah, I think the more people that are living living on the bleeding edge, the better, because that just, of course, as bug reports come out and things like that, it, it's making a better experience so that the, when the next long-term release comes along on another distro or whatever that is, it's better for everybody. Right. I mean, it's, just, it's a great ecosystem to live in. I think that's awesome, and it's something that we miss in a Windows or OS X world. You're talking about I, very I, limited testers and whatnot. I think, I think you lose no. it just kind of even just living in the distro box. I'll, go, I'll give you two examples that applied mm. to me this week. Okay. Two new apps that have rolled out, both covered by OMG Ubuntu, which is ironic because you can't really use either one of them in Ubuntu. Uh, first is Corebird. It is a really, really, really nice Twitter client that is completely designed for GNOME 3. Minimal, does exactly what you need, has great features, has notification mm-hmm. support. But if you want it installed on Ubuntu, you're kind of out of luck if you're on 13.04 because it requires GNOME 3.10. And if you want to install it on uh, Ubuntu 13.10, then you got to go get the GNOME 3.10 PPAs, install those first, and then break your Unity installation, and then install Corebird, right? Right. That's one app. That's one new app that's coming out that is really interesting to follow. Second new app that's coming out, Polari, an awesome new IRC app for GNOME, which, to- again, is like IRC, totally follows the GNOME design, looks absolutely incredibly amazing. Uh, I have it installed right now on my Archbox, can't get it on Ubuntu. Right, exactly. And this is yeah, what I'm talking that, about where I enjoy watching these these new stars be born. And, and as soon as I see a news article on it on my rolling distro, I go get it and I have it sure. installed and now I get to play with it. And I think that – and see, you're, you're the type of person that really values that experience. Right. But there's, there are a lot of people out there that don't and a lot of people there that do. And so I think there's, there is going to be a balance there. I think that as the people that really want that bleeding edge experience, they'll test these apps and they'll just get better and better and better. And by the time they do roll down to a, uh, uh, an Ubuntu-type distribution, the people that are wanting to remain in that space will also be able to enjoy it. Just on, it's kind of like, like paying for cable and getting your TV now versus waiting for it to end up on Netflix. 
it really is this. It's it's there's no right answer. It's just I think everybody's kind of got their yeah. It's you interesting. Know, it's a good analogy. Or it's like yeah, uh, yeah. You know, what's funny is like on Usenet Blu-ray movies of stuff right. that's like two months not even released yet will show up on Usenet. It's like wow, really? It's like you could get it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> a handy cam. You know. To, yeah. Exactly. And I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm wrong here. And we'll, we can ask. We could, I'm totally up to you know mumble room chime in. But I feel like uh, if if Polari and Corebird have more users using them, then those apps get better, and then we have a better chance of fighting the proprietary commercial desktops. But when we live inside these cages where our where our bearded masters make sure everything's perfect for us, we don't really push the envelope forward as fast as we could your thoughts mumble room okay uh see the thing is since i guess i'm the only one talking here uh the thing is it depends on what your situation is what context you're using linux in if you want to take the risk of of only upstream packages or you want more stable solution for it so while uh while the upstream philosophy and the arch philosophy applies uh, to some people, it may not apply to other people. So again, you have to look at your situation. It does not actually matter what um what philosophy you drive your Linux box with. It matters what that box does for you. Uh, secondly, there are still risks to uh, getting upstream, and so you have to make a choice whether you want the latest and greatest, and whether you want. Uh, just another a new IRC client or are you happy with your old one and you can take the safe option of uh, not breaking your desktop right I agree and so I think what I'm talking about is the category of people that listen to this show the people who are a little more savvy a little more comfortable and I would I would say like how many haven't all of us seen the scenario where you have a problem with it like say x chat and you submit a bug and then it gets marked as it's not our problem it's downstream mm. i mean valid yeah yeah we've all seen this i would uh, think i guess if i wanted to uh, pipe in and uh say something when i was distro hopping i was fine with getting the latest and greatest on a distro but now anymore i just want to install something and let it sit if i want a newer package of a software I will usually go search for that Debian file or that uh, RPM file and get it myself rather than relying on the distributions or uh, repositories. That only gets you so far, though, because pretty soon you run into some sort of like GNOME 310 dependency or, you know, you eventually require your underlying system to be current to take advantage of new apps. Eventually, but I do upgrade often enough to where that shouldn't be a problem, like once every maybe six to eight months. Yeah, okay. Mm. Yeah, I mean, those distro snapshots, in a way, are a figment of our Slackware past. Yeah, they are. I think. I think that's exactly <laughs> what it is. Like think- we have security updates and functionality updates, but it's not exactly how today is best utilized. And that's granted, what I'm if thinking. If I wanted to, I could on my laptop switch to the TumbleWeed repository and get the latest packages. Right. Oh yeah, I run TumbleWeed um, and I run Rawhide. And right, it doesn't have to be Arch. It doesn't have to be Arch. It could be yeah. it could be Rawhide. Yeah, it could be Tumbleweed for sure. I do daily Ubuntu, like for the before you guys done your Ubuntu mm-hmm. re- review. Mm-hmm. I was running daily mm-hmm. for a week mm-hmm. just to make sure that I knew exactly what I was uh, trying to get to and make sure I wasn't. So, you know, I guess part of my me. argument might be though is when you look at distros, there's some distros that patch kind of heavily, and there's some distros that don't patch very heavily. And that's where you start to get into the blame game is when you have a distribution who patches a lot. Maybe they change the way their whole notification system works. And so every app that wants to use the notification system has to have some sort of tweak applied. Right. That's the only that's the only thing where I kind of I guess I guess what I wanted to the point I wanted to get across is I, I feel like. 
I was a person who I for a long time believed that if we couldn't make a Ubuntu a success, it wasn't possible for Linux to be a success. Not because it wasn't good enough, but because you needed to have a, a corporation behind it with a little bit of money that you know a company like mm-hmm. Valve could call up. You needed to have a community organized around it. You needed to have a good you needed to have a good established base with a good reputation. And I thought you know, there's really not another distro while there's other really good distros and even better distros. Like they, none of them have all of that stuff and are also targeted at the desktop and cloud, et cetera, et cetera. And, and what I realized over the last four months is like Arch isn't really a distro. It is just straight upstream with a bunch of great scripts and, and some, and some shaffling around it. And yeah, it feels almost like Arch a roll your own for sure. Your own. Right. Well, all the other like a build your own distro. Yeah. Right. But what that has shown me is like just what the community itself is producing is pretty great. Well, like, all see, of the distros, all the other ones with the corporate backing are pretty much server or corporate desktop based hmm. distros like Novell and Red Hat. Ubuntu is the only desktop, you know, distro. But the reality is they actually make it. their money on cloud. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, when you, now yeah, I was thinking thing. when you back, back when you said notification, that's why I stick to like the standard desktop environment like KDE or even the GNOME 310. I don't go towards Cinnamon or towards uh, Unity just because, you know, they're the biggest ones out there, GNOME and KDE, or even XFCE out there, and they tend to use the standard components for notifications and such. Right. Lib notify. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. See, the thing I was saying about uh, Ubuntu is that there are still disadvantages to having a super popular uh, Linux distribution because uh, there was a post in uh, the Linux subreddit where uh, a man said Microsoft Word deserves to die because it uh, captured the market. So uh, what I'm saying is that you need what Ubuntu has established is a monopoly. And so that has its own disadvantages that may not be uh, looked at. in, in several places, meaning if Ubuntu is, if you have one uh, OS that is the king and it has 80% market share or 70% market share, then everybody, regardless of the OS's flaws and merits, has to develop for that. Right. And so they, that I, restricts them. That I don't know if the they've reached that. I don't know if they have reached that. And I think the thing that kind of made me think that was, and I could be, I, I could be way off the mark on this, but it, to me, the thing that kind of brought that home to me was, if Ubuntu had reached that monopoly point where you must write for Ubuntu, kind of like the reason I put our videos on YouTube is because if you don't put them on YouTube, then there's thousands of people who won't see them. And I hate it, but, you know, that's where I put them. And it, there are a lot of advantages to being on YouTube, even if I have to fight them constantly. I think that, you know, when Valve chose to create SteamOS, that was Valve making a vote of no confidence in the long-term viability of Ubuntu on the desktop. And And the reason I say that is because... If if you're going to hyper-focus on making the best thing possible, you don't really need the baggage of creating your own OS, right? I mean, they never had to have SteamOS when Windows was around and the Mac was around. It, and then it was like, I think maybe Gabe was sitting back, smoking a cigar and thinking, man, am I going to bet the whole farm on this uh, canonical clown show? Or am I going to just uh, take some the great work they've done so far and create my, my own you know direction? And I, right. I, I I believe that they're they're them going with SteamOS proves that they do not hold that monopoly. Yeah, um, right. I, but uh, certainly, I was thinking this whole time, it's like, okay, what if the canonical patches the kernel so much that it eventually ends up like, let's say, Android? 
Um, mm. uh, um, uh, um, I think that that Valve did um, SteamOS just because of the brand, because no, no, but most people don't even don't don't know yeah. about Linux. Yeah, you it's could the be same right about Chromebooks. Right. Chromebooks are b- because Chrome is so popular and people know about it. I agree. I, right. Though I do think, though, if we just had a world where maybe you know Ubuntu's market dominance was so clearly established that they might just say, "Well, they've got that part taken care of." See, it might be though. Uh, see, the thing is, uh, Steam not uh, not putting confidence into Ubuntu might not just indicate that Ubuntu is not as popular. It might just indicate that Canonical is very much a clown show, and they have no idea where they're going. It does not reflect, I think, on their popularity and dominance on the Linux uh, desktop environment. I, mean, I disagree with that. that. I disagree uh, with that a little. I, right, well, let's let that. the disagreeer yeah. go. <laughs> I, I would say that um, the the whole thing of them taking on Steam OS might be because Ubuntu is focusing on mobile. They're focusing on the huh. tablet, right? And and they're not focusing on the desktop as much. Well, Steam they want to focus on the desktop because that makes sense. Where you know mobile makes no sense to Valve. Well, no, that's also, what I'm saying. I actually. don't know. I I believe I heard somewhere where Valve wants to get into the mobile market. Yeah, I'm still surprised they, they haven't. Yeah, but see, the thing is that you're going to uh, get a mobile, you're going to uh, go Android. I say you got the Nvidia Shield in that, so you know there's definitely mm-hmm. a gaming market for like uh, mobile devices. And that's Android. Well, if you're gonna, if they wanted to do Linux, choosing Ubuntu is not exactly choosing Linux any longer because Ubuntu doesn't patch upstream like all the other distributions do. They are Ubuntu and are siloed as themselves. They can't benefit or give back to the other rest of the community. Well, it's all just right, so, so if they chose if they chose Ubuntu, then they would be kind of locked into Ubuntu. But they yes, did they choose were. Ubuntu. They just they're, they're just they're just stripping off the top layer. Exactly. Right. I don't think no, see, the thing is that does not mean Ubuntu is not popular. It just says there are other factors. No, I'm saying Ubuntu. unless you're using something like Unity, I don't think you're locked into Ubuntu just yeah. But again, like I said, the whole lock into Unity Ubuntu thing with Unity, that's why I use KDE because that's pretty universal across whatever distro I use. Well, they're even saying screw Kubuntu, screw yeah, but, Ubuntu, screw Ubuntu. They're themselves. Yeah, they don't I, want to help them. Are there other derivatives? Hmm. Yeah. But what, yeah, and, um, what what Ubuntu does quite well is it takes Debian testing and freezes it. Mm-hmm. So it gives you a fairly up-to-date platform to work with. No, Debian is old. It's stable. It's rock solid. No, that's stable. what Ubuntu does. It takes um, testing. Debian testing, freezes it for six months, and then you can work on it. So you get quite an up- up-to-date platform that's stable. Debian's testing is also stable, too. I mean, it's not like a bleeding edge distro. But it's constantly changing. All right. Okay, so I want to change the conversation for a second. Um, I want to play a mental exercise, and I'm going to toss it to Matt first, and then I'll toss toss it to the uh, mumble room. Let's, let's, and I'm not not saying it's going to happen. I mean, Ubuntu still could pull it out. You never know. But let's say, well, fast forward three years down the road, SteamOS has been shipped for a year. Um, All the other distros have gotten better at what they do. And Ubuntu has continued to decline. Who is the new dominant distro? What do you think, Matt? What is the distro that pulls ahead and, and, and why? As much as I hate to admit it and as much as I want to say, oh, it's going to be Fedora. Oh, it's going to be OpenSUSE. Oh, I Real- thought you would say Fedora, actually. No, I can't. I mean, realistically, if I'm looking at you know Ubuntu's targeting of new users, 
I hate to admit it, and yes, I'm not a fan, but I'm going to say Linux Mint because they do have their Debian stuff on the back burner for just such an occasion. If Ubuntu does a poo-poo, they're going to go, they're going to go with their Debian release, and that's what, that's what they're going to do. And I think that they have enough stuff going on internalized that they could make that switch work. Um, they're would, not ready yet. Would it be it better have. for everybody though if it was like um, Manjaro or Integros, like somebody? Oh, that- it, would be, it would be awesome. But I, I think that we, as people, have to remember part of why Linux works is because it is not the kernel is not a democracy. What about elementary OS? You know? What about so, elementary OS? Uh, elementary OS or again. Pengai. It's it's you got these democracy, you know, these community based distributions that that's great, but they're not. You know, they come and go, quite yeah. honestly. I've seen a lot of community distros come and go. And at least with a corporate-backed distribution, as much as I don't like a lot of them, you you have something identifiable. You can spot, okay, it looks like they're going to go downhill or it looks okay, like they're going right, to plug. Okay, all right. But is know? the problem – could the problem with Mint be as much as I have respect for Clem and all that he's done and all yeah, that he yeah. continues to do? If Clem gets really super, super burned out, what happens to Mint? I mean you got one guy. Right, oh, whereas no, OpenSUSE, yeah. OpenSUSE is an entire company. There's an entire team. You know, people come and go. Right, and Fedora has got the backing of Red Hat. You got these Mint and Elementary oh, yeah. OS. They all suffer from a very, very short bench. No, that's true. But the, here's the problem, though, is that you have to look at uh, Fedora doesn't target new users on any in any universe. Uh, OpenSUSE again, great distribution for the enterprise, not for the new user. I'm, it's just not the the tools provided are not targeting grandma. Um, Linux Mint is. That does not mean in its current state that they don't still have some of those community issues. But I see enough uh, interest, resources, and, and I mean financial resources being dumped in their general direction to where I think at some point if Ubuntu did go south, I could see some, court, some sort of a structure stepping in or perhaps even being formed around it. I Are, think that could Okay. Uh, Mumble Room, let me ask you this question, and, and whoever yeah. wants to chime in, answer it. So uh, – uh, I think there's a couple ways we could take this. I want to ask you guys: Is it possible we could have a three or four year down, three years down the road, three years down the road, Manjaro continues to evolve, and they've really got something where they've got a they've got a good combination of um, up to date packages, but certain snapshotting of key components to make things stable. Could Manjaro pull ahead as as a uh, lead distro candidate? I don't I think don't Manjaro know. has the corporate backing or the money behind them to make that happen. It's completely community. And um, granted, uh, Mint is completely community too, but I mean, their sponsorship is up the wazoo. Yep. It is. Yeah. yeah. Um, That's almost better, that, isn't it? Yeah. Well, the thing with Ubuntu, Ubuntu isn't brilliant, but what Ubuntu is extremely good at is marketing. I yeah. don't think there's another, I don't think there's another distro on like about that is as good as as good at marketing as Ubuntu is. Elementary um, got close with their countdown, but I agree. Like con- like when you search for like past stuff, like Canonical can capture the headlines, especially for the Edge campaign. They captured the headlines. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they are a PR machine. You know, they can do marketing like no one else. I mean, they're really good at it. I, I was thinking, like Mint, I think would probably pull out front, but I got a funny feeling that uh, Kubuntu might do quite well because that's got quite a lot yeah. of backing. That I like. Um, yeah, that I would like. Yeah, I yeah. see that. What is – and Kubuntu has a new complete, backing. And yeah, they have a corporate separate. sponsor now. Yeah, yeah, yeah Kubuntu's complete, got blue systems. Yeah, and, and it's a completely a separate operating system now. I mean they have, I know it's still based on Ubuntu, but the KDE fellas have very little to right. – I mean there's – And, and they're leveraging the uh, – well. Kubuntu will continue to leverage the big advances we're going to see in QT and the big adoption we're going to see in QT because of mobile. I mean, that's the other, that's the other thing about that could play a big part in three years is 
as as mobile continues to influence the direction of Linux, uh, Qt is going to continue to become a more and more dominant uh, framework that people use. I, I wouldn't be surprised if KDE distros do pull ahead because of that, right? Yeah, you know, didn't one thing, say that the default is king. Right. Yeah. Wh- How is Kubuntu default? Yeah, it may yeah. be. Well, they have a huge corporate sponsor in Blue Systems, but you know, for Blue Systems, I think that's a means to an end because their goal is for Netrunner, which is a derivative of Kubuntu. They live and die with Kubuntu. If anything, my choice would be Zeus. Because it's got a good mix of corporate backing and community or and- Yes, and they can PR the hell out of themselves. Yeah, you know what? The Sousa camp is really good at PR outreach. Um, and They've they, got they support, are and they're not. but they're not I, up to the yeah. snuff yet. Well, I mean, but, think about it. Like, Matt, before before a Sousa release, we usually, you and I usually get an email from somebody at the team who tells and us... QT. Uh, you know, what's what's new? They usually send us pre-release ISO links for us to download, so that way we can get it before the mirrors get you know smashed and give us a chance for our review. I mean... Right. That stuff's I, and the other thing for, and for their audience, I would say so. For but I'm but oh, for the people oh, yeah, that yeah. Ubuntu targets, not yeah. even close. No, not I close. agree. Yeah, well, but for right. us, oh yeah, for yeah, geeks, for us, they're yeah. awesome. Yeah, God, they're they're great. They're See, all yeah, over yeah, the it's, 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 yeah, it's about it's it's about um, not just a single thing. It's going to be a, a combination of things. It's going to be uh, you know good PR. It's going to be low barrier to entry. Like, do you need to know anything about Linux to get into it? Um, you know. Your your grandmas, your your you know lifetime Windows users and things like that. It's it's yeah okay. If it isn't if it isn't simple for them to just pop in a disk, well, install but, it, and then it's it's again, easy for them to understand. I, I think OpenSUSE, you know, OpenSUSE. Maybe not all of us like it, but OpenSUSE has Yast, and when you're a Windows user, you want the control panel, right? You want to be able to bring up control panel and go add remove software, detect your hardware. Well, I mean, that's what Yas does, right? And okay, yeah, yeah. And, and and I'm not saying that that Susan couldn't uh, pull it off. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying it's it's we're we're focusing on well, it's this. We'll know it's this. We'll know it's this. And it's really just a combination of things. And right, right now, yeah. Ubuntu just has right. you know, a stranglehold on that. But Susan um, has all the combinations. They have the corporate backing. They have the build service, which is bringing in, and they have the, which is bringing in a whole bunch of new software. They have the gallery, and and ladies and gentlemen, probably the number one thing for me right now. They have tumbleweed, so you can also be rolling, right? I mean, they've got. It seems to me like OpenSUSE has got a pretty good collection of a lot of the things I like. The only problem is, at the end of the day, I I I I, I can't imagine using Linux now without Pacman. Yeah, see, that's my my thing. But but OpenSUSE is going to be your advanced users. Yeah, they have Greg. He's straight up next in line to Linus. He's a straight up kernel. He's our kernel master. Oh, yeah. And he's at SUS. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. So they oh. can support the hell out of SUS. I'm going to use the M word here, but one thing SUSE has backing it, too, is a agreement with Microsoft. Oh, yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah. In fact, they're open SUSE. They have an open SUSE week, or they have like a SUSE week coming up, you know, like a conference, and Microsoft's one of the top sponsors. There's gonna, Linux oh. Enterprise Edition. I completely forgot about their Enterprise Desktop. Right, yeah. And I have to say, one of my favorite things about OpenSUSE would be the build service that people could set uh, their software on. Right. But I'm going to check something out there. I'm going to check something out. How about an Android Chrome OS hybrid? I mean, if uh, Google mm. actually ends up sort of producing where you can run Android know. apps. I, I feel like Google is has too much skin in the game to be a yeah. trusted platform provider like that. My system controlled by Java. I don't think they're going to do that. <laughs> JavaScript I, is different. Google. No, but Android is Java. 
It would yeah, succeed Android because is. of Google, but it, it, it wouldn't be good. Hmm. Well, I mean, like if Chrome we're OS talking a hybrid that works the way the same way that Ubuntu's quote convergence would, you the Android part would still be Java, but the Chrome OS part would not. There has it's to be not no Java, Android, it's JavaScript. Java. Like car is like what Chrome, Chrome is OS is JavaScript. Ja- Android is Java. Yep. Yes. All right. Well, now we're going down the Android path. I feel like I should pull this out. I should pull this out. But I, I just leave you with this. Um, I just, I, I wanted to, I wanted to make the case that if you have the stomach for it, and it, there's, there's no judgment if you don't have the stomach for it. But if you have the stomach for it, maybe consider going with one of the rolling releases from whichever distro provides it, just to kind of. It is yeah. it, it is really exciting to be on the edge and see things that are coming out that like Core Bird and Polari that are are so cool and to play with them and you know like how great it is to get GNOME three ten I mean GNOME project let's be honest it has been really really hard to use GNOME for a while and with GNOME three eight it got there and GNOME three ten they made it even better and GNOME three ten one is really looking good I, I look at this and I go this is it we're getting there again we're we're and KDE four series. Man, they are just they, – I love their plan to make KDE 4 just rock solid where they work on 5. Like both GNOME 3 and KDE 4 I feel like are once again getting to that point we were before we had the big upset, before we, made, before we killed GNOME 2 and moved to GNOME 3. I feel like we're getting back to that. We're not, we're, not, we're not there just yet, but we are probably within one or two releases to being back to that, to that level of awesomeness. And, 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 and it's got nothing to do with any particular distribution. And that's what's so awesome about it. There you go. All right. But well, then, again, yeah. I think at the end of the day, it's about um, what suits you best. Yeah. But yes, us does have a very good advantage on this. But again, what suits you best? Because uh, uh, GNOME and all the other upstream packages are working. They are in beta, they're in alpha, and they're still working. If they break, then that's where the trouble starts. And they don't, which is a good thing. But if they do... They could then you have to deal with it. That's yeah. the cost you pay. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Sure. But I feel like um, it's helping. Like I, because because I, I am fully, I fully figure that if that happens, then I'll submit the bug thing. I'll you know I'll watch the bug report and I'll participate in that part because that's that's what I can do, right? I can either donate money, but I'm too broke to do that, so I'm gonna donate my time to submit bug reports. And then plus for me, it also works. I can talk about it on the show and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. uh, you know. I, I think it's I think it's I think it's an interesting position for us to be in to maybe not have a direct influence on the future of our desktop, but at least help push it in the right direction as a user, which is way more which is just so more empowering than than you get on Windows and Mac. And when you know, we go back to that email where you said, Well, the Mac is is great for this and that. It's like these number one things, you know, being tuned into the open source community, being able to have an impact on the desktop, being able to choose these things where we can move around, those are indispensable features for me that that only Linux provides. You know, the Mac can, no matter what Apple ships in the next version of Mac OS X, they will never be able to ship that. They can't, right? That's true. Although, they're, although Apple is a master of uh, copying various uh, Ubuntu <laughs> features, and I could make a list for uh, the person to send in the email if they'd like that. Yeah, the, uh, the, I think the copying <laughs> goes both ways in know. some cases, but yeah. <laughs> I, I, well, so, I mean, but that, it's very visual up front, front, front and center experiences that they copied not not back in now stuff. uh now they just need to uh copy the app store a little more and uh we'll really have something all right mumble room well cool. thanks guys you guys were great today and uh i'm going to uh, wrap it up with an email from gh he wanted to write in in defense of kde he says chris and matt know. how contradictory is it for people to leave windows or apple because they're tired of their intrinsic limitations 
only then to move to Linux and choose the most limiting working environments like GNOME or Unity. Wouldn't it be more logical to move to an environment, say KDE, that gives you the most options to configure in any way you want? Spock would nod in agreement. For me, choosing between GNOME and Unity and say the others versus KDE is like choosing for the same price of $0 between an F-150 and a Sovereign Class Enterprise. And guys, <laughs> you're choosing the truck because you find the spaceship too complicated to use and it has too many options. And the truck can still take you places and has technology I can understand and use without too much effort. I assure you that if an option to choose was real, you'd pick the Enterprise even if it took you the rest of your life to figure it out. Your friend, GH. Well, I heard from Lavera, and she was very clear in saying, Captain, the communications are not working because Pulse Audio doesn't play well with the uh, KDE sound system. So you know, once I get my communications up on the, on the Starship, but the radio in my, tr- in my truck seems to work pretty well. I also, so I also would point out – I would also point out that uh, uh, yeah. Gene Roddenberry went to great pains to work with his designers to make sure that the Enterprise was clean and streamlined because Gene believed that technology had become so perfected that to truly enhance human life – it would be natural and comfortable to use. I'm just pointing that out. So however that is natural and comfortable for you is how you should use it, right, Matt? That's right. I mean, who needs, who needs to hear anything with headphones? I mean, that, that's, so, that's so gnome. That's, that is, that's, yeah, that's for gnome users. Psh, whatever, whatever. All right. Yes, if I want to have a modern sound experience, I do need Pulse Audio. I don't want some antiquated poppy back and forth crap that every other, yeah, no. Matt, I have in my hot little hands... Right here, my Synology box that arrived, the Disk Station Synology, a oh. NAS experience running Linux, supports iSCSI file servers, backup surveillance cams. It's the DS412+. Plus. I think we'll do a review uh, this Sunday on the Linux Action Show. Oh, nice. It has four four-terabyte drives in it running oh. Linux. <laughs> oh, All right, everyone. Well, thank that. you for joining us for Linux Unplugged. Don't forget we're live on Tuesdays at 2 p.m., and you can email us by hitting the contact link at the top of our website. We'd love to have you. Also, check out our subreddit over at linuxactionshow.reddit.com. All right, everyone, thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Linux Unplugged. Hey, Matt, I'll see you on Sunday. Sounds good. See you then. All right, everyone, thank you, and we'll see you right back here on Tuesday.